Oh, there's the first crowd was a little sleepy, I think. Um, thanks for saying that. I am so excited to be up here today with you and share some things that uh, Jesus has put on my heart. We're in the middle of our Lenten series um, where we're reflecting on the last 12 parables or stories that Jesus was sharing with his followers. And I don't know about you, but I love a good story. Stories are powerful. They're They can um, change us in unexpected ways. And sometimes a good story can take us places even beyond ourselves, or they can act as mirrors to reflect things that are deep within us. And so I love the fact that Jesus uses stories uh, to try to help us in our relationship with God. I recently was watching a movie, and I noticed under the title, it had the words in the descriptive line, hidden gem. And um, I pressed play, and about halfway through, I was bored. I was like, this is, where's the hidden gem at? And sure enough, unexpectedly, it emerged, and it changed everything in the story. I was all in to the rest of the end of the movie. And I feel like that's what happens when Jesus is sharing these stories, where he's using metaphors and narratives to get us actively in on the ways of God that deepens our relationship. And I'm excited to share two stories with you this morning involving a widow, a judge, a Pharisee, and a tax collector. Now, y'all, I tried so hard. You know how Jonathan does jokes at the beginning of his sermons? I tried really hard to come up with a joke. I just felt like these four characters should walk into something. And I took it to the preaching team, and Kyle thought they should be in a boat. Jonathan thought they should walk into a bar. Roland suggested a coffee shop, and it just completely fell apart. So there is no joke. So instead, I'm going to put up a picture of my Snoopy. I'm like, Jonathan put a picture of Becky doing a headstand up, and Roland put pictures of his granddaughter up a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, you know what? This has nothing to do with anything of the sermon, but I'm just going to do it. So that's Snoopy. He's 10 years old. He is waiting for me to get home at this point. So... Okay, so let's, uh, let's focus on Jesus. How about that? Let's look at Luke 18, uh, verse 1, where we, where we see that Luke writes, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Immediately, we see that Luke is taking the guesswork out of what is this story about. The audience or the disciples, the message is very clear. To always pray and not give up. And the reference to always means to constantly or consistently, continually. He's not giving instructions of like a physical posture with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. He's talking about praying often and diligently as in like a spirit of prayer in all circumstances. And and the very end of it, he adds to not give up, which means to not lose heart or to not grow discouraged. And to expand this moment that we're in, remember Jesus is preparing his followers. He knows there's a time fast approaching that will force them into a reality that they cannot even fathom on this day. They're going to wrestle between between the truths that he's been teaching them and what they find, the circumstances that they find themselves in. He also knows that what coming is, what's coming is this period of time of waiting. 
He knows he's about to sacrifice himself on the cross. And that in his death, he's going to give us a way that will restore the relationship with God, giving us full direct access to him at any time in any circumstance. He knows that this time of waiting that's coming, this time found between the resurrection and the time that he'll come back, where he's going to be physically absent, some refer to this, by the way, that it's the inner advent period. The first advent was taking place with the anticipated arrival of Jesus. It's what we just honored and celebrated in December. And the second advent is taking place when he comes back with his promise of return. And Jesus' words that Luke has included here, to always pray and not give up, are more than just simple reminders. They will become crucial during this period of waiting for connection and fellowship and relationship with God during this time. So in true fashion, Jesus shares a story with hidden gems, giving us some insight on how to approach this relationship and the posture that one can take when it comes to praying. And we're going to do something a little different this morning. Instead of just immediately putting in scriptures and you hearing my voice, we're going to just listen for just a moment, and then the scriptures will come up. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally, he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So we learn right away in this story that there's a nameless widow. We don't know anything else about her. We know that there's some sort of injustice has been done, but we don't know what it was. And we quickly see that she's very persistent. She knows her rights, rights to be cared for under the law and rights to ask for a ruling regarding this injustice. And then we have this judge, this man who doesn't fear God, nor does he care about what people think. He's reluctant, he's stubborn, he's, refusing, he's been refusing apparently for some time to grant a ruling for this widow. He becomes annoyed with her, grows weary of her. And the result is he finally caves in, he gives up, he rules in her favor simply so she'll stop bothering him. I think he's a little dramatic when he says he's going to do it because he thinks this widow's going to come and attack him. A little dramatic to me. And, but it feels like in this story that Jesus is using a little bit of reverse psychology because the judge in the story is representing God, who is in complete contrast to who God really is. This judge is unfair. He has no personal interest in the widow, and he answers her plea only out of self-interest. And we see the widow, in her persistence, having to work hard in overcoming the judge's reluctance to help her. Jesus is not saying that we should always pray and to not give up because God is reluctant. He's showing us that we have a judge, we have a God who is perfect and of good character, 
who loves to care for his children, who knows our names and everything about us. He's our advocate, and he will never grow weary of us. He's not bothered by us, nor does he play games with us. And the hidden gem in this story is that Jesus is showing that our heart's persistent approach brings about this transforming element into our lives that builds within us the character of God himself. Now hold on to that for just a minute because there's another story that we find right after this. And there's no evidence that this is the same setting. Um, Apparently Luke just thought they were really, they went together because they're on prayer. So jump down to Luke 18.9. And it reads, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at the distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. By the way, shout out to Jason Garrett for playing the role of Jesus this morning. All right, so these two men arrive at the temple, same time, same place, but they come with completely two different approaches. The Pharisee appears to be very self-centered and extremely prideful in his prayer. In fact, one could argue he's speaking more to himself. He's praying to himself more than to God because he mentions I like five times in this. Clearly, he's elevated himself above others. He's self-righteous where he says, I'm so thankful like I'm not like those people. And he's even got a list of his weekly accomplishments, of course, all on behalf of God. And then over in the distance, in the corner, we see this tax collector all by himself. In his shame and his guilt, he refuses to lift his head. He's so aware of his sin that he continually beats his chest which is a physical act to express the depth of his sorrow. And his prayer is only one short sentence, but it's so full of deep remorse and ownership. And at the end of the story, Jesus, we heard Jesus say, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And this hidden gem that's found in this story is really very simple. God's not interested in a prideful approach of our heart, but rather one that comes in a posture of humility. And these gems feel very much like common sense to me. And when it comes to praying, we could spend all day talking about the various facets of it, how to pray, where to pray, when to pray, what to pray, The topic is as deep as it is wide. But in preparing for this morning, I kept going back to Jesus' words that are found at the beginning of this chapter, where he says to always pray and not give up. And this this question kept rolling around in my spirit. 
what do I really, really believe about prayer? I love our church for so many reasons, and one of the things I love most is how we encourage our community to do a little research on their own, not just to believe what someone says about Scripture, but because that we have this beautiful gift in the Holy Spirit and various Bible resources, it helps us to discern for ourselves what truth is. And Roland mentioned a couple of weeks ago about the word deconstruct, and while that word can sound so terrifying at times, what it really means is nothing more or nothing less than finding out for yourself what is true. And so living with this question, what do I really believe about prayer? It's taken me down this path of sifting through of what it's not and what it is. Prayer is not about bargaining with God or making demands of him. Although I have to tell you this, this past Monday I was flying in from Dallas and we um, got caught up in some extremely rough turbulence coming back. And if you don't think my prayer life didn't improve during that two-hour flight, even the guy sitting next to me grasping the, the back of the seat in front of him with his white knuckles, like if that wasn't a clear picture of what bargaining with God looks like, I don't know. But we know that bargaining is not, that's not what prayer is. Prayer isn't asking only things from him or a means to manipulate him or control him. It's not about getting our words just right or being in a particular physical posture three times a day. And I have to tell you, as I was kind of sifting through this, there were some cringe moments for me because in moments of life of desperation, I've done some of these things. Anybody else relate to this? So if prayer is not those things that I just mentioned, then what is it and how does it apply to us in our lives. If I could write out my true definition of what prayer is, I would borrow these words from Scott Brennan. He writes, what does it mean to be prayerful? Is it similar to being mindful? To be mindful means to live in a chosen state of awareness. To be prayerful is to choose to be aware of God in the moment, to be open to his presence throughout the day, this posture involves the whole person, whole being. It is a heart attitude that aligns with our mind even when we're thinking of something else. We know prayer is all about communicating and, not, and connecting with God. It's conversations in, safe, in a safe space where we're known and we're loved and we're seen. And we know that God is all about relationship. He's the initiator of it. We're not. We're just the responders. From the beginning, his actions and his purpose has been designed to be with us. And I've recently been doing some studying on that word with, and what it's given me is a deeper understanding of what these books are all about, found between this cover and this cover. That what this really is, is story after story after story after story, and a couple of more stories of what being with really means. It's the truest definition of what with is. And it's wrapped beautifully in the purest form of love that one can experience. That's what this has started to do for me. But as in any healthy relationship, we know to be with 
requires us to be active, putting forth effort, centered around love and respect and honesty and listening and open communication. And it's no different in our relationship with God. But it seems to me that there's always this constant warring between what prayer is and what it isn't. Because when we find ourselves in these difficult moments in life, we believe it would just be easier if God would just fix our circumstances or fix the people around us, sparing us from the work and the effort of relationship because being with requires a lot. And it's in those moments that we find ourselves at pivotal crossroads involving choice and trust when it comes to prayer. Because when we can't see and we don't understand how God is working in our circumstances or we don't like his answers, we grow tired in the asking. We can become discouraged and lose heart, the very thing that Jesus is telling us not to do here. And when we begin to lose heart, it can lead to questioning if he's even listening. And we can find ourselves at this place of doubt, wondering if talking with him even matters. And somehow, in the muddiness of our thoughts, we stop talking. And there's never been a relationship not affected when one stops talking. Last fall, I was given a note, and it had a question of, at what point does one stop praying? And this individual had been praying for a family member for a very long time. And in the weariness of the struggles and not seeing change in their behavior, this person was just at the point of wondering, do I just stop praying? Do I just give up? And around that same time, I had this conversation with my sister over the phone, and she was sharing about how a friend of hers had been diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. And her questions were more rhetorical than anything. But she was asking, what do I even pray for? And why should I? If the cancer is the thing that's going to make my friend die, then why even bother praying? And she pointed to scriptures where we, we know that Jesus says to ask for things, that they'll be given to us in his name. But if God's going to do whatever he wants, then why bother praying, right? All these questions are very honest, they're very valid. But what's so important here is the context of this. We often take these scriptures to mean literally, like he's going to give us whatever we ask for, right? If it's kind of like a genie in a bottle. And when we don't see evidence of whatever we're asking for, it causes us to question if God's promises are true, and it becomes easier to give up and lose heart. But remember, God is all about relationship. And being in relationship with him comes with this approach of what I call courageous surrender, you see, we are a people with limited capacity attempting to understand a limitless God. His ways, his thoughts, they're not ours. He exists outside of time. We live within it. God relates to us eternally. Jonathan and Kyle did an incredible job of walking us through what it means to wait and to learn how to trust when we were studying the book of Habakkuk earlier this year. If you have not had a chance to engage in that, I think it's three weeks, it, find it online. It changed a ton of things for me. 
And so when I say, when I talk about this courageous surrender of understanding that we have limited understanding, God is limitless, what I'm acknowledging is that in any conversation or request that I have comes with this limited understanding of what is best for me or the person or the situation I'm talking to him about. And constantly in this relationship, I find myself at this crossroads where I either choose to trust him with the how and the what and the way in which he'll work, or either I choose to withdraw and I stop talking. But that need that we feel, that, that need to understand, to make sense of things is natural, it's human. Kurt Thompson explains it this way, from the time our brains begin to develop, we eventually emerge as a language people who are constantly trying to make sense of what we're experiencing. Listen, God created us with this need to know why. He knows that about us. We want one and one to equal two because it gives us a solid foundation from which to work from. It's why knowing what we believe about our faith, about our relationship with God is so important. Our belief holds us accountable. It grounds us to what we know despite what we feel. I have a, a little friend, Natalie, who at the time of this conversation, she was nine and her brother was seven. He had gone to see, he died from cancer and she um, was just asking a lot of questions. And one day we were talking about Tyler being in heaven with Jesus and she leaned over to me in kind of a whisper and she said, sometimes I ask God to bring Tyler back my heart kind of fell out on the floor and I waited a few seconds and I leaned back over and I said, so what do you do when you don't see him? And she stopped whispering and she sat up straight with just this matter-of-fact tone and she said, well, I sit on my bed, I wait for a few minutes and when I don't see him, I say, well, phooey. And I climb in my bed and I go to sleep. Now, I'm not sure if phooey is Greek or Hebrew, but Natalie's response came back to me when I was reading through Jesus' question in verse 18 when he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Natalie still trusts in God, despite the fact that Tyler does not appear every night when she prays that prayer. She knows that she'll see Tyler again. What Jesus is asking is, can we remain faithful, choosing to trust in him without always understanding. His words to the, to the disciples in these, um, in these stories, in these parables, are meant for us now, just like they were for the disciples then. These are the exact moments Jesus knew we would face and why his words to always pray and not give up were so important. That inner advent period that the, his followers found themselves in Guess what? That's the same time, the same period of time that we're currently in. We're still waiting. Jesus knew that we would wrestle between his truths and, his, and the reality that we sometimes find ourselves in. He knew we would grow weary, that we would want to stop talking, and that we would want to give up. And this same period of waiting that we find ourselves in, it's filled with millions of choices and how we choose to respond to those choices either deepens our relationship with him 
or it lessens it. Our depth of faith is found in the spirit of our prayers. To pray with confidence is to pray with faith. We can be confident in who God is. He's faithful all the time. Despite the moments that we don't understand or the ways that that we keep looking for the one and one that doesn't equal two. We can remain in relationship with him and even respond with a well-fooey attitude without holding God hostage to the promises he never made. What Jesus is asking is that we always stay in prayer, to stay with him, to keep talking, and to not give up. When we landed Monday, safely, by the way, um, I was walking up through the terminal, heading out to my car, and there were people all around. It was spring break, so there were a lot of people in the airport, a lot of noise. And I just, I was focused. I had a lot of things rolling around in my head. And as I was walking up, I remember looking down at my feet as I was getting close to the door. And all of a sudden, for just any lack of better words to describe this, there was just this moment that I just felt like something was pressing in around me and in me. And I kind of smirked because I thought, you know what, I'm not alone. I feel you. Jesus didn't say anything. There was no bright light. It was just this feeling that was very, very real. And I, as I went out to the car, I started reflecting how my relationship with God has gotten very real these past five years. I'm finding a new narrative in my own story because of allowing some sifting through of what is and what isn't to take place. And one of those areas is my prayer life. When I got the call that my husband Chuck had died in a car accident, I did not drop to my knees and say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I choked out whispers of, Please don't make me do this. Please. There was no response. I didn't really expect an answer. And since then, over time, there have been moments that I pray, so now what? I get to this situation, I did it this week, so now what? I don't know what to do, I don't know how this is gonna work out, I'm not understanding these circumstances, what is it that I've done wrong, now what? And I will tell you there's a freedom that's come in being able to be honest with him. This prayerful space that I find myself in is not just one location, it's not just one time of day, it's anywhere, it's gotten very real, sometimes it's very raw, sometimes the words are spoken, sometimes they're written, sometimes the words remain just thoughts in my head. But my awareness or my mindfulness of his presence is becoming a a steadier rhythm of what is so needed in some very real, tangible ways. And it goes back to that first hidden gem in our first story where where I mentioned that our heart's persistent approach in relationship to God brings about this transforming element in our lives. You see, God's not the one who changed, I have. 
I'm still very messy. I'm still very human. But in this realness, this rhythm of of true relationship, it just feels more natural. And deep down in the core of who we all are, I think it's what's needed. It's what's true and it's what we long for. C.S. Lewis says, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. We're going to do things a little differently today as we get ready to move into this next part of our our service. But I want to start with asking you the same question I asked myself. What is it that you really, really believe about prayer? I don't know when the last time you had any intentional space with God. Maybe it was earlier this morning. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe you've been practicing the listening prayer that's in our Lenten guide that's online It's an incredible way to just clear your mind and just be with God for a while. Maybe what you're exploring is being in a relationship with Jesus. You wonder what it looks like, what it feels like. Lean into him. He'll get you to himself. Trust him. Maybe you need to write something this morning and place it in the prayer walls. We've moved these wooden prayer walls that are on either side of the stage with papers on them. There's paper down below and pens. Maybe there's something that's been kind of rolling around in your spirit this morning. Maybe it's been there for a while. And you're like, gosh, I just need to get it out. I just need to be honest. Maybe you just need to sit and listen. The candle stations are available. No matter where you are this morning, that space that you're taking up in that chair, make it into a prayerful space. And if you're at a crossroads and you're about to give up, you're discouraged, you wonder, so now what? Maybe you're not sure of what to say. Scripture tells us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For when we don't know what to say or how to say it or what to pray, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So the team's going to lead us. This is your time. If you need to get up and go to these stations and engage with them, feel free to do that. Make this space prayerful. This sacred space is yours.